We can't follow Jesus with physical steps the way these first disciples did. They, they literally followed him up to the synagogue and probably also inside. And we can't see him and follow him physically like that. But that shouldn't cause us to over-spiritualize things to the point that it has no effect on our actual living. Just because we can't see him physically and, and touch him physically and follow him as though he's standing here, we still follow him physically. We still use our bodies in obedience to him. So we, we couldn't walk with these disciples into Capernaum, but we can use our physical abilities to hear his teaching. And we can respond just as practically and just as real a way as they did. So we're going to use our ears now and we're going to use our brains now. And we're going to get connected to this now. And the main thing I want you to notice is the response of these people to Jesus' teaching. Did you see how they responded? Look at verse 22. He's in the synagogue and he's teaching and they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching. That, that Greek word is sort of two words put together. It's the word that means out or out of and the word that means to strike and they're put together. So it's what we would say knocked out. They were struck. It was as though something had slapped them right in the face. It, they were dumbfounded. They were left at a loss. They were struck, knocked out, astonished. Now, while we're all being honest with ourselves, when was the last time you were struck by hearing Jesus' teaching? When was the last time you were knocked out, dumbfounded, astounded by God's word. And I do think that it's appropriate to expand this, not just to the red letters in your Bible, but to all of God's word, because we know Second uh, Timothy 3.16 teaches us that all scripture is inspired by God. It's all breathed out by God. So it's all divine revelation. So when's the last time it hits you with that kind of a force? Has it ever hit you with that kind of force where you were astounded? My prayer heading into this sermon was that we would be struck that way again, that whatever calluses have been built up on us that make us insensitive to his voice would be ripped off, that we would be sensitive to his voice again, as though it's the first time we've ever heard it, as though we didn't have, many of us, decades worth of church experience sort of dulling our ears and our eyes, but that we could see how astounding Jesus really is, how astounding his teaching is. So why were they so astounded? Why, why should we be astounded? Was it because he was such a great speaker? Were they astounded saying to each other, man, this guy can really preach a message? Was it because of his catchy phrases and his clever use of words? Did he give them a lot of good sound bites that just stuck in their minds and was it because of the extensive marketing campaign that surrounded his teaching time in the synagogue? That, was it because of the music lifted everybody's emotions up to a, a fever pitch so that when he came out onto the platform and spoke, it didn't matter what he said, they were going to respond emotionally in a really strong way? Was it because he had such a zippy sense of humor? What was it that was so astounding about Jesus' teaching? I mean, have you, have you ever wished you could hear him? 
I wish they had some way to record it back then and we could dig it up and find. What did it sound like? Well, there was one thing above everything else that stood out about his teaching. And you can see it in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he taught them as one who had authority. He taught them as one who had authority. What was so astounding about Jesus' teaching and what continues to be astounding about Jesus' teaching, if we really listen to it, is that he teaches as someone with authority. It's not that he's so clever with his use of words. It's not that, that he's, um, it's not the intellectual heights of it. It's, it's the authority. It's, it's different than those things. Authority can have two different meanings. Let's think about the word authority for a minute before we go on. It can have two different meanings. You can be an authority on a subject just because you're really, really familiar with it. So some of you are car guys, and you are authorities on the subject of cars. And you could talk about cars all day long, and you think about cars all day long, and you read about cars, and you dream about cars. And you're, authority, you're an authority on the subject of cars, especially in comparison to me. I don't know anything about cars. So you're an authority on that subject. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you've been doing the same job for 30, 40, 50 years. You are an authority on whatever that subject is. You're an expert. So there's the expertise sort of authority. And then there's the ownership sort of authority, the jurisdiction sort of authority, the um, dominion sort of authority. So this is the kind of authority where you're an authority figure. So let's say you're at a car dealership and you have um, a salesman there who loves cars and he, he thinks about cars all the time and he is the authority on the car that you're looking at. But then the owner of that car dealership walks up And he is the authority in a different way. He's the one that can okay the price of the sale. And he's the one who owns that car that you're thinking about buying. So there's expertise authority and there's ownership authority. There's uh, teacher authority and king authority. And we see both of these exhibited in an ultimate way in Jesus in this passage. Jesus comes on the scene here. And it changes everything for these people. These are people who probably have heard a lot of good scriptural teaching from the scribes. But when Jesus walks in, it's completely different from what they've heard from the scribes. And that's what he points out. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, do you know who the scribes were? The scribes, their whole job was to hand copy the Hebrew scriptures, the old, what we know as the Old Testament. So whatever you do, eight, nine, ten hours a day, that's what they did. Just copying the Bible. Now, if you did that for, let's just say five years was your career as a scribe, you would have a pretty good knowledge of the scriptures. And they did, and they were very well respected, and they were considered the, the authorities in the synagogue. If you had a question about a spiritual matter or a matter related to religious practice, you wanted to go talk to a scribe because they were the experts. They were authoritative. And they were usually the ones who taught in the synagogue and they taught 
all the details of the law and all the minutia of the law. They were the literate and learned ones. They were so well respected, they could uh, create legal documents for marriage or divorce or purchasing contracts and those sorts of things. They were the top dogs in the synagogue and in that culture. They'd be sort of the, the equivalent modern day of whoever your most respected Christian teacher or theologian is. Whoever it is that you, who, whose books you turn to when you're looking for inspiration or answers to questions, uh, whose TV program you don't miss, uh, a radio program you don't miss, whoever it may be for you, that's sort of the equivalent. These were the guys. Okay, so for me, I have um, been blessed to have Ron Thomas and Glennon Balser to be my official mentors in the ministry. So they're sort of my my guys, my authorities on things. And I've called them many, many times over the years for advice on things. And then beyond that, I have uh, men that I don't know, but that I greatly respect who've written a lot that has helped me. John Piper may be one of the ones that I found the most helpful. Okay, so who are whoever your people are, Jesus walks in and suddenly these people that we've looked up to almost look like little kids in comparison to Jesus. His authority, he's not just more authoritative than these scribes. He's not just more authoritative than Ron Thomas or Glennon Balser or John Piper or Matt Broadway. He's not just more authoritative. He's authoritative in a whole different way, a whole different category. So that when he came in, they didn't say, this is astonishing. He's teaching with even more authority than the scribes. They say, this is astonishing. He's teaching with authority, not like the scribes. The scribes only have borrowed authority. They only can quote scripture. Jesus speaks scripture. You know, Ron Thomas, Glennon Balser, John Piper, they can only borrow some authority from scripture and hand that over to me, but they don't speak scripture. And their interpretation may not always be correct. And as I've told you many times before, my interpretation may not always be correct. I read somewhere in a, some book about pastors that a pastor without a Bible is a pastor with no authority. And that's absolutely true. I have no authority in of myself. There's no reason you should listen to a word I say, except insofar as I'm representing Jesus's authority and I'm bringing his words to you because those are authoritative in a whole new way. I want to read you something. I'm reading this book called The Robe and it's a fictional account of the Roman soldier who won Jesus's uh, cloak that was stripped off of him when he was crucified and the Roman soldiers gambled over it. And one of them won the cloak. And it's a fictional account of this Roman soldier trying to figure out who this man was who had this cloak. And so he travels with another man named Justice, who was an early follower of Jesus, all through Galilee, talking to different people who had met Jesus and encountered him. And he's just trying to figure out who was this guy who made such an impact and who haunts him afterwards. And so he was talking to his new friend, Justice, and Justice is explaining something what it must have been like to have known Jesus. And I just happened to read this this week, and it just seems to fit so well with the sermon, so I thought I'd share it with you. So Justice is talking to Marcellus, the Roman who won the robe, and he says, with the exception of John, 
All the close friends and disciples of Jesus were older than he. But he was our senior by years and years. Sometimes after we had slipped away for an hour's rest, he would say, come children, we must be on our way. But no one smiled or thought it peculiar. And later on, he says, take Simon, for example. Simon, we know him as Peter. Simon was always the leader among the disciples. I hope you meet him when you go back to Jerusalem. Simon is a very forceful, capable man. Whenever Jesus happened to be absent from us for an hour, Simon was far and away the big man of the company, everyone deferring to him. But when Jesus would rejoin us, Justice grinned and pursed his lips and slowly shook his head. Simon was just a little boy, just a humble, helpless little boy. I think that kind of captures what this must have seemed like when Jesus walked in. The scribes, so serious, so learned, so articulate, so literate, taking themselves so seriously, seeing themselves as the authorities. And then when Jesus comes in, they, they must have felt like, little kids playing with little trinkets and then the parent walks in. Jesus is absolutely unique. If we really got this, if humanity understood and accepted the legitimate authority that Jesus Christ holds, if we were to walk into a Barnes and Noble, you know, now if you walk into a Barnes and Noble, there's all the different shelves and they have all the different categories of books and there's Books about travel and books about business and books about leadership and books about personal finance and books about um, self-help and and self-improvement and physical health and all these things. If we really understood who Jesus was, when if the people who own Barnes & Noble did, when you walk into Barnes & Noble, it would just be Bibles everywhere on the first floor. It would just be Bibles And then maybe on the second floor, you'd have those other books just for fun. But the authoritative word on everything would just be God's word. He is the expert, but not in any way that we've ever seen an expert. In a whole different category of expertise. A whole different category of authority. But he also fulfills that second idea of the word authority, the kingship type of authority, the authority figure type of authority, the dominion type of authority. And we see that in the second part of the the passage, which I would love to just spend a lot of time because it's very interesting, but we'll just take it as we see it for today. Right after he's teaching and they're astonished, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So here they're amazed, which means... Uh, amazed to the point of shutting down. It's a strong word. I mean, they were paralyzed with astonishment and wonder and awe. Jesus has all authority over even unclean spirits. 
And as we'll see as we continue reading, even over physical illness and over material things like food and drink and a storm that he can calm with just a word. Whatever your thing is that you're wrestling with that you don't understand fully, whatever your thing is that you're afraid of, you need to know that Jesus is here and he is authoritative over whatever that is. In fact, this was pretty much his whole ministry. If you see on over in verse 30, 39 of Mark chapter 1, it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This was just what he did. He, he went in and he preached and asto- astonished everyone and he cast out some demons and he went on to the next place. Unparalleled. So I just I want to give you some questions to consider. We're going to be taking communion in a few minutes. And this is something I've had to wrestle with this week. In your mind and in your life, is Jesus in a different category than everyone else? Do you have a list of authorities, you know, people that you turn to for figuring out how to live your life and what you should do with your career and how you should raise your kids and how you should dress? And Jesus is just one of those? He can't just be one of those. That makes no sense of the scripture of who he claims to be. He's either everything or he's nothing. So it might be that the application of this passage for some of us this morning is just to remember who this is. And to put him back where he belongs in this totally separate category. Now, if we do see him for who he is as the authority, both in the expertise sense and the the ownership sense, then the question becomes, are we learning from him and submitting to him? That's what you do. With With an authority who's an expert, you learn from them. With an authority who is an authority figure who's in charge, you submit to them. So the question becomes, are we learning from him and are we submitting to him? And this gets back to what I was talking to at the beginning. I mean, in real life ways, not just are we letting his word sort of flow past us on Sunday mornings and assenting to it, but are we taking it for what it is, the authoritative word of God, and then changing and living according to it? And this has been honestly very convicting for me this week. I had not realized how much I had slipped into an academic relationship with Jesus's words. I love Jesus' words. I love to study them. I love to try to figure out how to communicate them to you. But somewhere throughout that process, I often short-circuit that part of that where I hear him talking to me as the authority over my life and where I submit humbly to what he says. So where are you with that? I mean, Jesus teaches about all sorts of things, and the, and the Bible itself covers All sorts of subjects. Let's think about it for a minute. When Jesus says that his followers are to be the light for the world, shining brightly with our good deeds so that people could glorify our Father in heaven, do we take that to heart and try to shine brighter with good deeds to glorify the Father?
When Jesus says that if we cuss out our brother or call him a fool, that it's just as bad as murder in his eyes, do we take that seriously as though the authority just told us that? When Jesus says that looking after a woman lustfully is just as bad in God's eyes as committing adultery with her, and therefore, if your right hand is causing you to sin or your right eye is causing you to sin, you need to pluck them out and chop it off. Is that serious? Do we take that as God's authoritative word for us, or do we think, oh, that might be good advice, and continue on with our lives? What Jesus says about divorce, what Jesus says about oaths in our word, what Jesus says about retaliation, what Jesus says about loving our enemies, what Jesus says about giving to the needy, what he says about praying, fasting, not laying up treasures on earth, not being anxious. I think it's very easy for us to forget that this is the authority saying these things. I think it's very easy for us to slip into a comfortable mode where this is really just a book. What could be less threatening than a book? You know, a book makes you think about a cup of coffee and a throw blanket or your grandma. We need to remember that this is the words of God himself. I'm reading another book right now. And it's an old book, and you probably heard of it. It's called In His Steps. It's one my mom had on her shelf my whole childhood. I never read it, and we had it in here, and I started reading it. And I don't know that I agree with everything in it, but it's the story of a church who the, the minister gets deeply convicted that he and his church just are not being Christians. <laughs> They're doing church. And so they make a pact together to ask, before they do anything, what would Jesus do? And that's where that WWJD thing came from. And then it got overpopularized and people were wearing it who clearly couldn't care less what Jesus would do. And then it faded out of our you know, popular culture. But it has been an interesting read because it has shined the light on the fact that in practical living, I think many of us are just kind of ignoring what Jesus has said to us. Many of us have grown up in church. We know a lot of stuff that's in the scripture. But we have justified our way out of living so much of it. Now, thank God is in a very gentle way right now calling me and calling us back and saying, I am the Lord. I'm not just your Savior. I'm your Lord. And that means really following. So I think it's good now that we have communion. Um, I think that this is a good first step for some of us who maybe have drifted away from really following Jesus. And I want to challenge you to do what I'm doing. I'm trying to read the Bible now in my devotional time, um, which I had gotten lax on. Even preachers get lax on that. I'm, I'm really trying to read it as though I've never heard it before. And I'm really trying to read it as though I have no choice but to submit to what it says whether it's just something to know is true about God and life or whether it's a command. And you know what my first chapter was when I prayerfully made that sort of recommitment? You'll never guess. It's not in Romans. Matthew chapter 28. You know what's at the very end of Matthew chapter 28? It's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Go. Go. Make disciples of all nations. And so I've been wrestling. What am I, how am I going? What am I doing? And it's, it's exciting to read the word this way. If you've grown bored of reading your Bible, read it like this. Like he's talking to you. And he expects you to act. It'll be so transformative for you and for our church. Let's pray together. Prepare your heart for communion. As you bow your head and close your eyes, I want to remind you of what this is we're about to do. Communion or the Lord's Supper, we do in obedience to Jesus who told us to do this when we come together in remembrance of him. We, we eat a bit of bread and we drink a bit of juice. And it reminds us that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilt for us. So let's pray together and prepare ourselves for this. Father, please search our hearts and our lives right now. Please convict us fully of where we've sinned and where we've ignored your authoritative word through your son, Jesus Christ. But please be gentle to us and restore us and correct us and enable us to repent. And may we be a people who humbly learn and submit to your word in real life, practical ways. And now as we prepare to, in obedience to you, observe communion, uh, may it be more than just a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. May it be to us the very body and blood of Christ. As we consume it, may we remember what it cost for us to be adopted and made sons and daughters, for our sins to be washed away and forgiven, for us to enter into the new covenant. May we remember it deeply down to our core, And based on that good news of what Jesus has done for us, may we live and thrive as a people and as a church. May we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we love our neighbors as ourselves. And may we go and make disciples of all nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.